Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. All right, Kate, we are on episode 18 already, and uh, today's topic is around nutrition, and we have a nutritional therapy practitioner named Steph who comes on today to kind of answer some of those questions that I think we all had in the beginning. I know you've mentioned it. I've mentioned it. We get DMs all the time asking about you know, sugar cravings, weight loss, all those things. But Kate, let's talk first. What was your nutrition like? before as a drinker and then after? Did you notice a difference? I mean, I've always been quite a healthy eater out of preference. Like I haven't had to try. I've always spent money on healthy, good foods because I love fruit and vegetables. I I like salads. I don't eat meat anymore because my daughter became a vegetarian a few years ago and and I did it with her, but I eat fish. But I've actually always eaten quite healthily. The times that I didn't, were absolutely 100% in the evenings when I'd had a lot to drink and I got snacks out and I would just go through the packets of crisps or the biscuits. And then the next morning I would crave McDonald's or something, that fat, that salt. And that has definitely changed because I never get those cravings for the fatty, salty stuff anymore. I mean, that's really the only difference. As far as food goes, I still eat the same way. It's just I don't snack as much in the evenings. I, I go to bed earlier. I don't ever get to that point of the night. Yeah. I've had dinner. I've got a couple of hours and then I go to bed. And I don't eat a massive breakfast either. I never wake up craving food. It's just completely gone. And I think I craved it because it was kind of, you feel like it's going to, that that thing everyone always says, it will soak it up. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why it's great to have Steph on because I have no idea what goes on inside this shell of a body that I live in. I don't get it. You know, I've had two children. I still don't really understand how all that happens. I mean, I understand how it happens, but I don't (laughs) understand the inner workings of a body. I don't understand why your hair gets shinier when you stop drinking. And I don't understand the kind of fluctuations in weight and stuff like that. So I was so interested to hear from her because these are questions that everyone asks. It seems there's two main things, aren't there? There's sugar and weight loss. What about you? Have you changed your diet and the way that you kind of approach food? Yeah, I've always had a really like bad relationship with food, even, you know, when I was a drinker, same as you, like I I would do okay into a certain point of the day or the weekends hit. It's when the drinking started picking up, then all inhibition's gone, right? And yeah, you crave things more. And I was eating, like you said, the fried foods to feel better so that I could drink again the next day. And it's just, it was just a mess. And I was working against myself because I've always all my life struggled with thinking I had a weight problem, which is a whole nother, that could be a whole nother podcast, like this body dysmorphia that I had going on. And I just had a really bad relationship with food, with my body. And then you add alcohol to it. It was just a mess. It was a complete mess. But after giving up drinking, I noticed that I could reel things in a little bit better. I could stick to eating a really good nutritional diet. And I did crave sugar, which Steph does go into that on why we do that. 
but it wasn't anything near the sugar that I was consuming as a drinker. You know, when we drink alcohol, that turns into sugar. And like when we're drinking as much as we were drinking, that's a lot of sugar. Like that's a lot. It so, is. And do you know what? Sorry, I'm going to butt in because yeah. I didn't actually, I forgot about this, but I never ate sweet food, biscuits, no. cakes. Even at dinner parties, people would say, well, Kate doesn't eat puddings, so we haven't made one for her. And I always said, I just don't like sweet foods. And it's because I was getting so much sugar from alcohol. And I had a real sweet tooth since I gave up. And I'm at 21 months and I still eat like a donut or two sometimes. I'll Mm -hmm. go, oh, and and sweet. So yeah, that has changed actually massively. Sorry, you carry on. I just But it's it's so crazy to think about because I was the same way and I almost wore that as a badge of honor. Like, oh yeah, I don't eat I don't have a sweet tooth. I don't eat sweets. And when I got pregnant I ate, I remember going to the store and like buying a cake, like a full birthday cake at the bakery. <laughs> but you know, a birthday in re- cake and yeah. it wasn't your birthday. No, it was just, <laughs> I wanted cake. But then think about it. I wasn't drinking when I was pregnant, Yeah. but I blamed it on the pregnancy. I never connected the dots that it was because I've ripped alcohol out of my diet and now my body's craving sugar. I'm like, it's craving sugar because it's the baby wants cake. Yeah. Yeah. No. The baby did not need a whole birthday cake twice. You a didn't week. eat the whole thing, Steph. No way. It, it would take me a few days, but yes, I would eat the. <laughs> I wasn't down to I share my so cake much with anyone now about my donuts. I'm like, wow, Steph ate a whole cake. I have not done that since getting sober. I will tell oh you, I've not done that. But now I do like to have dessert, and I do, you know, crave the sweet things. And yeah. so there is something to it. Um, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, eating the few sweets that I do eat is way better than yeah. diving into a bottle of wine and drowning myself in that. I mean, I'm not going to wake up hungover and I, I'm pretty sure I'm still not even consuming as much sugar as I did when I was drinking. Well, I think my I think my body, my sugar, blood sugar levels are still unbalanced because I get so tired. Mm-hmm. And and I if I think about it, you know, if I think, oh, well, I was drinking alcohol almost daily for nearly 30 years and that was thousands of calories, you know, sometimes yeah. in a day because there's a thousand calories in some bottles of wine. If you suddenly stop that and your body's gotten really used to that amount of sugar, despite the fact I was saying I don't like sweet things. Well, I, I clearly did. I like yeah. wine and that's a sweet <laughs> thing. And I think stopping has had an effect on my body and, and I've had tests to see whether I've got diabetes, but something's still not right. And my energy levels are, are kind of all over the place. So I'm trying to work on that. But again, that's why this conversation is so interesting because you really have to feel your body. That came out wrong, didn't it? You really have to feel um, hey. the kind of ups and downs <laughs> in order to work out who you really are mm. and what food is doing to you when you don't have alcohol in the mix. And Steph does a great job. Should we hop in and listen to what she yeah. had to say about why we crave so much sugar and all the things our bodies go through when we get sober? Let's do it. Basically, when we quit drinking, your body starts having the ability to kind of tell you what's really going on. And so 
we know that alcohol damages the liver. That's like obvious, but it damages the entire digestive tract. Like one of those things that it damages is the pancreas and both the liver and pancreas are involved in regulating blood sugar and alcohol itself the ethanol creates low blood sugar. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about with sugar cravings and stuff like that goes back to blood sugar. So just kind of keep that in mind that the pancreas is damaged. People who are drinkers or ex-drinkers will have damage to that. And almost all, like 95% of people who have a history of drinking will have issues with blood sugar regulation. So another thing that alcohol does is it prevents the absorption of nutrients And so even if you eat relatively healthy, if you're still drinking, then your body, like it's compromised, like you're not really able to assimilate and utilize those nutrients. So a lot of people will kind of use alcohol to curb hunger or curb these symptoms of low blood sugar, and they're perpetuating the problem. And when you have this nutrient deficiency, it causes you know, all of these issues with hormonal regulation. That's why a lot of women's periods get kind of thrown off. And some of these like underlying health issues come to surface because we have this damage, we have this nutrient deficiency, we always have dehydration. And so a lot of what happens in that initial repairing process, why a lot of us get so tired at like the first week or two of going alcohol free is because all of this correction is happening under the surface the liver finally has an opportunity to take care of all of the stuff it had to put on the back burner because it was it's always going to prioritize the alcohol. So I think that's why it's just kind of wonky. It takes some time for the body to catch up. It takes some time for hunger fullness hormones to come back online because your body just doesn't know what's going on and all of this cleanup kind of has to happen. So That makes so much sense to me because I was expecting to feel so bouncy and amazing when I gave up and it felt like I'd been in a car accident I was flawed and when I was so exhausted I was sleeping 18 hours some days and I got spots and I you know it was just awful but one just before you carry on and maybe you will say this later but when you said about sort of 95% of people will have problems with their pancreas does that fully repair yeah I mean Our bodies are like really, really good at repairing themselves as long as we don't go, you know, too long. Like people die of pancreatitis, right? And it's, it can be alcohol induced. So you just have to expect that if you're in ingesting a drug like alcohol, that there is going to be some damage to your body. But, you know, when we properly fuel it, when we give it the nutrients that it needs and a lot of variety, like the body loves variety, it has a good chance. Like we can regenerate cells. Our body kind of turns over every 90 days. Kate, I was like you. I was just floored, exhausted when I first gave up alcohol. And it probably took a month to a month and a half yeah. before I got out of this like a zombie state and started to feel human again. And so a lot of it is just this patience game and trusting the process and trusting the people who have come before you because it's really hard to muscle through that because you're like, well, if I'm going to feel like shit anyway, like why not just drink, right? We want that immediate relief and the human condition in general, we want a quick fix and we want it to happen. We want the magic pill. And unfortunately, that's just not how it works, right? (laughs) 
Right. I have a really quick question too about the the pancreas because while you're an active drinker and you just symptom wise, can you talk about if there's damage done to the pancreas or your pancreatitis and all of that? Are there symptoms to alert you as a drinker? Because I've heard other people talk about this and say like it kind of just boom, you're there. Like there's never kind of a warning shot. Is that true? Or are there things as a drinker you can kind of be aware of? I feel like it depends just like everything. The biggest issue with alcohol is that it anesthetizes us, right? So it's really hard to be in tune with your own body. And so I think maybe there are warning signs there, but how are you supposed to identify them? Like as drinkers, we're so out of touch with how we're really feeling, right? And you're not going to be fully present there. Like it's going to suppress all of those those symptoms. Like you might not think that you have any hormonal imbalances and then you quit drinking and you're like, what the hell's going on with my period or what's going on with my energy? Because we can use alcohol in so many different ways. And one of them is to kind of suppress and mute those these symptoms that we're feeling. That was the big reason I use. Like I deal with chronic illness and my drinking really went off the rails when I just could not feel good. And that's a lot of the reason why I do what I do in the nutrition field is because I'm like, I don't want anyone else to have to feel like this and then go and lean on alcohol to unfeel like that. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. I relate to that. I have an autoimmune disease. I have Hashimoto's Mm. and I drank a lot to alleviate a lot of the depression around having a disease like that. And, you know, not ever really feeling good, like inflammation wise, but as we know, the alcohol was just really adding to that inflammation. And I was never honest with my doctors, as most of us are, about how much I was drinking. So it's very interesting when I quit, you know, it's been 20 months, how much better I feel. I don't suffer with those symptoms anymore. We're only ready to hear the message when we're ready to hear the message. Right. Like I think about that too, where I'm like, I mean, even in my business, it's like I would encourage people to quit drinking or cut back or give it like 90 days or something like that while we work together. And then like behind the scenes, I'm like struggling and drinking myself. It's just so inauthentic, but just very human of us, right? I think once you strip alcohol out and it, you have to be brave to do that because whether it's a physical pain or a mental pain, When you stop drinking, you feel all the feels. But actually, what you're saying really scares me because you're so right. Alcohol masks everything. You have no idea if there's something wrong with you. You can't tell what's normal, what's new. You don't have your feelings are all kind of drowning in alcohol. So once you stop, you strip yourself bare. And then I guess where you come in as well is that you can really say once you can understand your raw self, your your authentic self without taking a drug every day, you then have to realize what you need and how you can build on that and become the healthiest version of yourself. Is that kind of what you do in your job? Yeah. So I usually recommend waiting maybe 90 days or so to start really dialing in nutrition in like a more intentional way. And I would say that's the minimum. I mean, you can do stuff in those first 90 days to help support your health, your physical health and repairing all of that damage. But we want to allow the body to sleep if it needs to sleep and you don't need to be like meal prepping 
you know, that's just adding stress. And I think adding more risk of relapsing, you remove the alcohol and that it takes a lot, like you said, Kate, like getting to your raw self and understanding all of this emotion stuff, but also understanding like the physical things that are underneath the surface that takes some time. And I think like the most important thing is learning how to be alcohol free. And then there's time to deal with the nutrition side, like sugar cravings are a huge deal. But I'll always say like, it's so much better for you to just like dive head first into a gallon of ice cream than pick up a drink. Because, you know, there are still nutrients in there. Like, yeah, it's sugar, but you have some like fat from the dairy. And it's like emotionally healing too. And that's a lot of the nurturing that we need in the early days. Is it dangerous to suddenly cut it out? Because if if I was drinking a bottle or two of wine a night, and I was getting all that sugar, and then I suddenly stop, I had sugar cravings, and I allowed myself to eat it. Is there any danger in completely cutting it out? Because your body presumably will really react to that I've been having sugar regularly for 20 years every night in a big way and now it's completely gone is it dangerous should you embrace at the beginning eating sugar because your body is going through some sort of withdrawal I don't think it's dangerous in itself like I don't think you'll do physical harm if you cut out alcohol and then cut out sugar at once but I think like the dangerous part and air quotes here is the risk of relapse with that because your body's used to being in this sugar burning state and then it hasn't had the chance to adapt to being in like a more fat burning state. That's like metabolic flexibility that we talk about uh, in the nutrition field, where if you have someone on like keto, they get used to being only in a fat burning state. And if you have drinkers and most like, honestly, most of like the developed world, we're used to being sugar burners. And so we hold on to some fat because our body doesn't ever dip into that. So I think, yeah, the biggest risk with that is that you're going to have cravings for sugar because your body is not yet fat adapted. And so even if you go straight to like keto or a low carb or something like that, it's just going to freak out and like your body's going to freak out and not know how to get its energy. So it's going to just kind of amplify the feelings of fatigue. It'll feel kind of like fluish, hangover, whatever, on top of how you already feel giving up just the alcohol. You know, I don't think any of us gave up sugar at the same time as giving up alcohol. Yeah, I hear people all the time. I see it as kind of like a trend and then they're like, okay, I've given up alcohol. And then maybe a little bit later they give up caffeine and then now they're on the I'm going to give up sugar kick. And I'm always like, I mean, I'm 20 months in and I still have no zero interest in ever giving up sugar completely. I know there's probably health benefits to it. But for me, I'm not drinking alcohol anymore. I'll be damned if I give up being able to go have an ice cream cone with my daughter. So this kind of wraps into another topic that Kate and I have heard the like food addictions or eating disorders that can come in when it comes to getting sober. And then you start focusing on other things. Is that something that you deal with with your clients? Yeah, I think, I mean, that to me is one of like the bigger unspoken risks. We don't talk about that much because, I mean, I just think of people who are drawn to compulsive behavior. It might be drinking, but it can transfer easily to to food. And so, like you said, Steph, it's like some people go on more extreme diets that move into a disordered eating sort of thing a full-blown eating disorder, and then some people go more of the binge route. So there's like things that you can do nutritionally to support your body with that. But drinkers are really prone to that behavior because we're just more compulsive. We don't have a sip of wine. We down the bottle. We do things more extreme 
we just, we go big with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that I call it like the great identity shift. Like instead of party girl, now I'm going to go and be the healthy girl. I eat clean and I train four times a week and my recovery days are hot yoga. And we just create these new rules about what counts as a workout or what foods we can and cannot have on our plate. And I think you have a really healthy relationship with sugar. What we want to get away from is these insatiable cravings where we we overserve ourselves food. Like we feel gross after it and we don't know why. We don't know why we can't stop. There's a difference between that and just wanting something sweet because it sounds good and having it and moving on with your life. Like I'm actually not anti-sugar, but I think that giving up sugar altogether or deeming it as like toxic or whatever. I think that does more harm in the long run because anyone can give up sugar and sweets for like 30 days or 60 days. Like you can willpower your way through it. But then what happens when you want ice cream with your daughter in the summer? And then you're like, oh my God, I haven't had this and it's so good. And then it becomes like a binge event because you never allow it. And then you just go overboard and then you feel sick and you're like, well, see, I can't trust myself around sugar. So I guess I can't, you know, I can't do it. It's funny because I always think of food as a very physical activity, but it's mental, isn't it? From everything you're saying and, and the way that we can transfer our personalities and our obsessive kind of nature or our kind of it's it's go big or go home or I do everything at once I need it quickly and then you overdo it and it's I think it's quite important because most people who drink as much as I used to drink at home on a, a Tuesday night say I'm very much like that in all aspects of my life I will jump on a plane and move abroad within a month of having the idea or I will decide to climb a mountain and I'll sign up for the one that is happening in six weeks instead of in a year and actually we almost need to be prepared for this if you're thinking about giving up alcohol and you are that kind of person it's probably very healthy to say I am very likely to transfer this behavior into another area of my life And to kind of go in with some tools, it's probably a good idea. I never thought of that. I literally just focused on giving up and thought anything I do has got to be better than getting drunk every night. Is that a good way to deal with it? If you're giving up alcohol and you're worried that you're going to transfer your behaviors into another area of your life like food... How should you approach that? I think that is my very long-winded question. Yeah, that's absolutely it. I think just bringing awareness to the fact that it might be a possibility and to just check in with yourself. You know, it's like we're always going, 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 and a lot of times trying to fill all of the space that removing alcohol creates. And you're like, I got to fill it with something. And why not? I'll start CrossFit or Whole30 or something like that. It's very natural. And and you're right. Like there are worse things we could transfer our addiction to than dialing in our health. But we want to think about our motivation behind it. I think more than anything, like, am I just adding in more fruits and vegetables and making sure I'm eating more regularly? Or am I on this good food, bad food diet? And I'm a bad person if I eat some of the bad foods. And then I'm a good, clean, healthy person if I eat the good foods and that bec- that becomes like stressful on the body. It's anxiety inducing. That's where we're kind of crossing over 
into a little bit of a more dangerous territory with mental illness, like eating disorders, or even tinkering on it with disordered eating, which is my background. I was disordered eating first, and then I transferred that to alcohol use. So I kind of, I worked in reverse. And then like enlisting the help of a dietitian or nutritionist, someone like myself who understands those risks of eating disorder, because all of us know how to prescribe a diet that will give you like short-term results, right? But the key is if we're in this for health, we want to make sure we're making decisions that are sustainable and practical for the long term, where we have some flexibility, where we can enjoy the ice cream and we don't go overboard with it because we ate properly the entire day. Like we're not starving at the end of the day, just craving something because our body is trying to catch up from not getting enough energy earlier in the day. Speaking of like adding things in, because I started working with, she's a coach. So she's a fitness trainer and she helps me with my nutrition, all of the things. And like you just said, I highly recommend anyone that has had, because I've had like body dysmorphia issues. I've had, I would say an eating disorder, but I was obsessed with dieting. So I guess it's a, a form of eating disorder. I don't know if there's a label for it, but I have had all those things in my past. And also while I was a drinker, it was something I struggled with. So I knew when I got sober that I was going to need help navigating these waters because I was, like you said, I was very worried about just obsessing over something new. And it really did help. And one thing that she had me doing was just adding certain things in instead of focusing on not eating certain things. I do the same approach with my clients where we focus on hitting nutrient minimums and nourishing your body from this minimum standpoint. And then anything you have on top of that is fine because it's really hard to overeat or overindulge even in sugar if you're properly fed all day. So from an adding in approach, the first thing I recommend is getting a high protein breakfast and like higher protein than you think you're going to need like 25, 30 grams of protein. That's like four to six ounces. It's really hard to get with a plant-based diet. It becomes calorically really high and plant proteins are more like carbohydrates that also have protein in them. So I do recommend animal proteins. I think there are other ways we can be friendly to the environment and sensitive about animal welfare and stuff like that than just not eating animal proteins. But yeah, that breakfast is going to like set you up for the entire day hormonally. It'll help with sleep at night because it helps kick in your energy when you need it. Like you're consuming calories, calories are energy. So you're going to get that energy when you need it the most in your day. And then you're going to be less likely to have these cravings at night. And you have these cravings at night. If you indulge in them, then it's more difficult to sleep and the cycle just continues, right? And then your mm-hmm. sugar and caffeine and whatever. So definitely adding in like a high protein breakfast. Can you just give me an example of what that looks like? Because I am not au fait with all these different, what what is high protein? So for the people like me who have no idea what a high protein breakfast looks like, before we go on, could you just give me an example of what that might be? Yeah. So uh, like a quick and easy one would be to get um, like a paleo sausage or something like that, just something without sugar in it. Have a couple sausage links, maybe a couple of like some hash browns or something like that, and maybe like sauteed onions and bell peppers or something like that. So I'm a big fan of like the breakfast hash. So I'll prep a big one on on Sunday and I'll use pound, pound and a half of ground meat. I'll do some like shredded veggies in there. And then you just like quickly reheat it in the morning 
top it with an egg or some cheese or some salsa or something like that. And then you're good to go. It's like a 10 minute preparation and eating it for 15 minutes and then you're good. That's a big thing I work with my clients on. And I will say it takes time for your body to adjust to having a larger meal in the morning. So just start small, smart, start with like whatever tastes good to you. That's the most important thing is to get your body used to it. I eat about 30 to 40 grams of protein for breakfast now. It is so true. I noticed very early on the days that I was not hitting my protein, the cravings for the sugar were way worse in the evenings. I feel like so much of this nutrition stuff is just, it's kind of hard to believe because it's its simple. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not easy, but it's simple and kind of boring. And you're like, really? I'll sleep better at night and not have to eat the whole thing of ice cream if I just have more protein at breakfast. It sounds like a snake oil thing or something. You know? <laughs> so on from breakfast then. So we're set up for the day. We've got our, we've eaten our sort of raw fish or whatever we're meant to be eating. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> what next? So I would say, especially if you're just getting started on the nutrition path to eat every three to four hours. That's another big one. Include, you know, protein, some fiber from fruits and veggies, some healthy fat. So like a good snack might look like a handful of nuts, maybe like some fruit and some slices of cheese, or if you don't tolerate dairy, like some meat slices or something like that, or a slice of turkey with some avocado in it would be a good snack too. Don't go longer than four hours without eating. And then vegetables that are really helpful for drinkers specifically would be um, like cruciferous vegetables, like your broccoli, cauliflowers, beets too are excellent for liver, for helping like support the liver and the detoxification functions. And then it has a really amazing effect on gut health and like hormone regulation too. If you're like a smoothie person, sometimes I'll put frozen cauliflower in my smoothie just to get a little extra. So yeah, like the breakfast, adding in cruciferous vegetables, eating every three to four hours, and then with every meal and snack, including animal protein, health healthy fat, and then fiber. So carbohydrates, um, fruits and vegetables, rice, stuff like that. And for women in particular, I recommend having some kind of starchy vegetable or carbohydrate at dinner. It's just, it it works better for women. Our hormones are really sensitive. Thyroid, you have Hashimoto's Mm -hmm. like supporting the thyroid at night. Well, like having that starchiness with your evening meal is like a really good way to promote sleep too. Those are like my biggest suggestions, the easiest way to get started on on using nutrition to kind of help regulate your entire day, like from your sleep-wake cycle to regulating your blood sugar so you're not experiencing these cravings for sugar or alcohol or carbs or whatever. And feeling your best, like that's the most important part, like having the energy to have a really full day. You don't need to crash your energy at 3 p.m. You don't need to rely on that like sugar and coffee. You can get through it with proper nutrition. Now, I don't like to focus on this a lot. And I think it can be really damaging. And one of the negatives of social media, but I am always asked about weight loss. A lot of people say, as soon as I stop drinking, when will I lose the weight? Now, I didn't lose any weight for quite a while, like months. And then it dropped off about like month three or four without me doing any extra exercise. And I'm sure that's got to do with water retention and your body going like shock, what's happening and stuff like that. But but when it comes to weight loss and alcohol, what can people expect? Because I honestly am asked this every week, a question about when will I lose the weight? And although I know it's not healthy to focus only on that, 
it is something people are clearly really curious about. And it is a benefit, especially if you're like me and I put on extra weight because of alcohol. I had a little chipmunk face. I didn't look healthy. And actually, it's not really to do with my overall weight. It's to do with not looking like someone's put a bicycle pump in my mouth and blown up my face. (laughs) Is there any advice you can give as to what to expect and how to... Yeah, definitely. And that is, it's important to cover this because even though I approach nutrition from a weight neutral approach, people's feelings are valid with that, especially when they're carrying like unexpected extra weight. Like they're not trying to shrink themselves into being teeny tiny. They're just like, I know I put on this weight, you know, when can I expect for it to drop? Just like everything in nutrition, it depends. It depends on your body. Like Kate, I would, I would say in your situation, yes, you had some like water retention stuff going on. An electrolyte imbalance will cause you to kind of hold on to that extra puffiness. And then the liver, of course, is important for like hormone metabolism and having healthy hormones is a really effective way to have a healthy weight and the liver being so focused on removing the alcohol and processing and metabolizing that it puts all of this other hormonal stuff on the, on the back burner. And so in in your case, it's like, okay, well maybe it just took a few months for my liver to catch up with all of these processes. And then it just, it dropped. And I think that's a lot of people's experience. So part of it is just like the patience and realizing that your body is smart. We don't really need to micromanage it that much, but we do need to provide it with sufficient fuel and sufficient nutrients. That's why I approach from like a nutrient minimum perspective instead of eat this, not that and whatever. It's like, let's hit our nutrient baseline every day the best we can. And don't sweat it if you can't, but the best we can, let's properly fuel ourselves. And, you know, the whole calories in, calories out, that's been debunked a ton, like a ton of times. Like that is just not really an effective way to approach weight loss, but the quality matters more than the quantity in these cases. But what happens with restricting calories just for the sake of weight loss or whatever is it creates a stress response in the body. Like your body doesn't know the difference physiologically between a real famine and this like self-imposed famine, whether it's intentional or not, whether you're just like forget to eat or don't have proper hunger cues or whatever, it doesn't know the difference. And so while a lot of us are successful with this calories in calories out method in our 20s or the first time we diet or whatever, the body's having like a very real stress response to that where it's going to slow down your metabolism It's going to slow down all of these other like inessential processes in the body because it's going to focus on your heart beating and your lungs breathing. It's not going to worry about your fertility or, you know, anything like that. And it's going to store whatever calories you do consume as fat because it's like, I don't know when the next famine is going to be. So over time, most people end up gaining weight who have a history of dieting because of this. That's why I say feeding yourself sufficiently, because if you're only concerned about the weight gain, then you might be tempted to undereat or skip meals or worry more about the calorie count than the nutrition count. And you're just creating the stress response in your body, which has this downstream effect of of honestly having a hard time losing weight, even though you're eating less and eating less and moving more, whatever. And then another downstream potential impact is these insatiable cravings because your body's starving, you know, and it's like, okay, I know wine will fix this real quick. I know ice cream will fix this real quick. And it's just kind of a consequence of under eating the body's smart and it knows it needs energy and it knows 
sugar in any form is an easy way to get that energy and kind of satiate that craving. When I was at my thinnest, I was taking unprescribed Adderall. I was smoking cigarettes. I was sleeping four hours a night. I know I'm healthier now, even though I'm not as thin as I used to be. Well, I think she's got a really good point there because people who go sober start to automatically look at the way their body changes. It's interesting. And also it's one of the benefits, isn't it, that you can actually see when you give up, your skin gets better, your hair gets better, your eyes get better, you look healthier, you look younger, you lose weight. Normally, not everyone does, but most people do if they cut back on alcohol and they don't completely change their food intake. And also you get more interested in exercise and being healthy. And these things all go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, it's easier to stick to a healthier diet, a healthier you know, exercise routine because you're not hungover. You're not fighting against all of that. And, you know, a lot of it, too, is just losing bloat. I mean, a lot of people ask about the weight loss. And I think for me, I lost 10 pounds right away the first month. But I don't think it was 10 pounds of fat because I have since getting sober, I hired myself a coach. So I'm really learning for the first time about nutrition and calories and all of that stuff and what it takes to gain weight and what it takes to lose weight in a healthy way, like a healthy scientific, the way our bodies are built way. Well, I didn't lose any weight in the first month, really. I mean, I think it was around month three, and it just dropped off about a stone, you know, and I wasn't doing any extra exercise, but it just came off. And I think maybe my body was holding on to it going, what is going on here? And as she said, if you starve yourself, your body will say, well, we might need this food because we're starving and it holds on to it. And it's That made a lot of sense to me. And, you know, and it has to understand, am I going to get regular food? Where's this sugar that I normally get, this daily hit of sugar? That's not coming in. Everything changes. And that's why these months of sobriety are great, but you don't see the real effects because actually for me, a month wasn't long enough. I didn't see that much difference when it comes to physically But I look at pictures now of me a few Christmases ago and I was watching videos with my kids the other day and I looked awful. It's the heaviest I've ever been. My face is so puffy and red and my eyes have got like bags and they're bloodshot and I look dreadful. And even the kids kind of went, oh my gosh, mom, you look so much healthier now. And and I do. And it, it made me really cringe looking at it. And I remember thinking then, I know I'm not healthier. And that's kind of part of the reason why I stopped. Because when you look at yourself and you and you say, this isn't what I want to look like. And alcohol has a weird effect on people. You can just tell when you look at someone's mm-hmm. face that they drink too much because it's this kind of weird bloating thing, isn't it? Yeah. And it's really unattractive. When that goes away, you kind of see yourself again. And that yeah. happens whatever size you are. Yeah, it does. And that's what I loved about Steph saying you know, when she works with people that she waits 90 days to even really put them on any kind of a diet plan or for them to even really focus on their Mm -hmm. nutrition, because you do need some time to just let your body be like, get your rest. Like she said, dive into a gallon of ice cream if you need to, instead of wine, because if you're trying to do all these things too soon, it could really cause a relapse really quickly because these things take time. And if you've been drinking for 20 years, like you, this is not going to solve itself overnight. It's not. Our body needs time. Our body needs to understand that like, 
okay, we're no longer going to be getting this from alcohol anymore. And it's just, it's so, it's so much. And I think that's why I love people like her. I love the coach that I work with. I say it all the time, like the money you're saving on not drinking anymore, invest in someone who knows what they're talking about to help guide you through this. Because especially like if you're anything like me, you're going to come up against these situations where you're just going to feel like, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why can't I stay in a calorie deficit? Or why can't I do whatever it is you're trying to do? And it's just like, you need someone that's like, no, you need to be, you know, nurturing to yourself right now. This is not the time. Like you need someone to check in with. It's a bit like juggling, isn't it? You start Mm -hmm. with one, then you move on to two and then three. You don't pick up 10 balls and start juggling. Right. And with sobriety, you have to focus on one thing. And when you get confident enough, you pick up another thing. And a lot of people can't afford to have a coach. But there's so much online, isn't there? There's so Mm. much free stuff. And actually, if you do take it slowly, you learn a lot about yourself. I mean, you won't understand the inner workings without doing some research and why things happen. But there are so many podcasts. There are there are courses you can do online to learn about this kind of stuff. There are videos. I just think sitting and just focusing on sobriety, seeing how your body changes purely by eliminating alcohol you then start to see how you're meant to naturally look without putting this drug into your body. Then you can work on the bits that you want to work on if you want to work on any of them, quite frankly. You know, and strength is so much more important than being skinny. I will say in contrast, that's who I was as a drinker. I always just wanted to be skinny. I didn't want to have to do any hard work because, I mean, think about it. I was drinking all the time. I didn't have the energy. I didn't want to lift weights. And now... My shift is I'm in my 40s. I want to be strong. I want to have balance. I want to have good bone density as I'm getting older. And so I lift really heavy weights. And it's really funny because I was just telling my coach the other day, I still have this weird thing with the scale because it was ingrained in me for so long. I used the scale. I had this like number in my head that I thought I had to be at. And I was telling her, I weigh 15 pounds more, but I am wearing the same exact size that I was wearing back when I was a stone less. It's because I have built muscle. And before I just focused on losing weight. Well, you're going to lose muscle when you're losing weight and you're losing fat. And so it really has opened my eyes to a whole different world of being healthy, not being, you know, the goal is now health, not how I'm going to look or how thin, how thin can I get? And I don't think I would even have that mindset if I wasn't sober because the alcohol always had such a negative impact on my thoughts and how I felt about myself. It's so true. And it impacted our, you know, just like we couldn't say no to that fourth glass of wine by the time we got to the end of the third, when we decide we want to eat four packets of, you know, salt and vinegar crisps, we just do it. Because all our resolve is gone. And the next morning you feel like you need to eat in order to even focus on work or whatever. So once you take all of that out, you feel like you're in control of what you're eating. And that's, again, food becomes so much more enjoyable and things taste better when you don't drink. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. Way better. It's crazy. I never thought that would happen. But I enjoy food and flavors and tastes Mm. so much more. Sobriety just gets rid of the poison and it allows your body to rebalance. And whether it's your mind or your fitness or your weight or your strength, it doesn't matter. You can actually focus on those things. You can actually plan something. 
You can stick to things because you're reliable. You've got energy again. You can remember things. You don't have that self-hatred and, well, I can't eat today because I want to drink tonight. And all those stupid things we used to do, they're gone. And you're like, well, I'm in control of this machine that's carrying me around. I can make it whatever I want Mm -hmm. and I can understand why I'm doing things and I can be in control. And, And of course, I'm not talking about eating disorders are a whole different thing. I'm just talking about taking out alcohol and being the set in the same place. And I just think you become more aware of your body and, and what the potential is. And you become more interested in being healthier. Once you see yourself morph into a healthier, more attractive, younger looking person, you think, well, I want more of this. Right. And, you know, like she said, the nutrient part of it is you're actually now when you are eating your fruits and vegetables, all those nutrients are being absorbed. Because you're not killing it all off with the alcohol and your body isn't prioritizing the alcohol first. So just that alone, I mean, gosh, I just think about the money I've wasted on not only just really good food, but supplements. I mean, even your supplements and you wonder why your supplements aren't working or you're not getting the effects you're wanting. Well, if you're chasing your supplements with wine or booze, I mean, yeah, it's not... It's not doing anything. You might as well just Did throw them down the sink. Before, because I didn't mm-hmm. realize. I didn't know that. I had no out. idea. I took probiotics. I took all these things, and I never no. even gave it a thought. But it makes sense. Like I think about it now, I'm like, well, duh. Obviously, it's alcohol. Yeah. It's it kills things. Like, yeah. why would I think that I could take a probiotic, which is like living? And then drink alcohol later and it, it was poison. Yeah. And it's not going to do anything. Of course, it's going to kill it off. I would never do a diet that excluded alcohol. If I saw that that was part of like the list of don'ts, I'm like, oh, hell no, I ain't doing that diet. We'll just do something else, something where I could still drink. Those diets don't work. They just don't. Yeah. Well, that was a great episode. And I, I yes. really hope people got something out of this and go off and research a bit more. And all of yeah. her information. Oh, yeah. In well, the show everything notes. in the show notes. If you want to, you know, get in touch with Steph. What's great about her is that she does help people in alcohol recovery. So it's kind of her, what she zeroes in on, which is really great if you're looking to work with someone, I think, and you're, and you're yeah. sober because she understands and it. And she's sober as well, isn't yep. she? So yep. she knows she's it. there. And we know that's always a nice extra touch, isn't it? It is, for sure. It's that wink, that secret wink. Mm -hmm. I know what you've been through. Don't worry. We've got this. Well, listen, Steph, have a good one. And I will see you for episode 19. Yes. Cheers, Steph. Bye, Kate. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we're just two women from opposite sides of the pond wanting to bring awareness around the negative effects of alcohol. We are not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is causing any mental or physical health issues, please seek professional help. Please be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss future episodes. If you think our podcast could help someone you know, please be sure to share it. Also, leaving a five-star review will help The Sober Effect reach more people like you. The music for this show was produced and recorded by Pearl and Thumbelina Jim of the wonderful Charm Jar Music. More information can be found in our show notes.